0: I think it's really just grounding your reader in the story, making sure that they are right up front aware of who this character is or what they want and what their goal is. You want to make sure you're grounded in the character and even a little bit of the world too, so you know where your character is coming from. And then obviously use that to make a reader laugh or cry or pull at their heartstrings.
1: Hey there. Welcome to LitMatch, a podcast made to help writers find the best literary agent and business partner for their writing career. Thank you so much for joining me for these meaningful conversations with literary agents where you can learn about their manuscript wish list, how they agent, and many other invaluable publishing insights. I'm Abigail Perry, the host of LitMatch and a certified developmental editor who has also worked as an editorial intern at a literary agency. I'm always on the hunt for noteworthy literary agents are making big differences in the world by advocating for authors and making their publishing dreams come true. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest. She graciously reached back to me when I sent out a call for literary agents, and she's a wonderful person and agent to talk to with such enthusiasm and passion about her job. Her name is Tara Gilbert, and she is an associate literary agent at the Jennifer Day Kiara Literary Agency. Tara joined the Jennifer Day Literary Agency as an associate literary agent in 2020, and she has been a part of the publishing industry since 2017, which she's going to talk about early in this episode. Tara spent over a decade learning the art of negotiation as a staffing professional in the aerospace industry before finding her passion as a literary agent. When Tara isn't reading manuscripts and working with her clients, she is usually caught wandering around Portland with her partner or loving on her fur babies. It's with great pleasure that I welcome today Tara Gilbert. I was searching for literary agents who would be interested in chatting with me about their manuscript wish list. And Terra's awesomely reached back. She's a big fan of horror stories and stories that represent a person of color, LGBTQ or quote bag books, neurodiverse, body diverse, disabled. All of those are especially encouraged to query her and be good fits for her among many others, which we're going to get to today as we discuss her manuscript wish list. But thank you so much for joining me, Tara. Tara is coming off of her day job as well. So she is a superstar. So I'm so appreciative and really excited to talk to you about your clients and what your hopes for in your query box. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to
0: talk more about my manuscript wish list and so, so to talk with you and to meet you for the first
1: time. Yes, so fun. Love meeting anyone who is yeah. a book fan, especially literary agents and other authors. The more connections, the better. Yeah. Okay. Before we get into it, Tara, can you let the listeners know more about you and your experience? You are now currently an associate literary agent at the Jennifer Day Tr Literary Agency. And that's not where you originally started. So I didn't know if you wanted to share how you ended up where you are today. Great. I actually started as an intern
0: with Entangled Publishing and I loved it. It was a new adventure for me in comparison to my day job, which is completely different. I really enjoyed reading people's manuscripts and giving feedback and help support the editors get those books out into the world. And when I went to New York one day for actually when I went to New York for BookCon one year, I met several literary agents and authors that were part of my critique group. The authors were a part of my critique group and I met their agents and I got to talking to several of them and heard later on that they were looking for an intern. So I ended up being a intern for a little bit and became a literary agent apprentice for Hernandez, who is now with Andrea Brown. And around the same time, I moved on to the Jennifer de Chiara Literary Agency and I love it. It's great. I've been
1: a literary agent officially probably about three years. That is really cool to have that background. Entering a profession like this usually starts with interns and the mentorship is so important to you understanding how you're going to ground yourself in this very competitive industry and starting to really develop the taste and the preferences for the stories that are ones that you would like to represent. How did you start to become selective in your manuscript wishlist. Do you wanna just talk to us a little bit about the main titles, the main types of stories you are looking for right now?
0: Uh, Yeah, right now, I've been slightly more selective than I was before. I'm a Gemini, so I tend to like everything. I have a very broad reading taste and I also do illustrators and graphic novels. And so my list when I first opened was very broad, and I had some wonderful queries and I ended up signing great clients. So now at this point in my career, I'm being a little bit more selective so that I'm filling some gaps that are basically missing from my list and still including the things that I really enjoy reading and I kind of want to read right now and that I haven't been seeing a lot of. So I've cut back a little bit on fantasy. In general, especially YA fantasy, which is not necessarily because I have a ton of YA fantasy on my list. It's mostly because at this time in publishing, YA fantasy is oversaturated and hard to sell a debut in that market so as a newer agent i'm focusing on things that i have already done pretty well in which is adult light fantasy more like speculative or even horror and then i am focusing on uh, graphic novels in the middle grade space which i've sold a graphic novel for one of my illustrators and that's coming out in 2023 I would like to do more of those, but in the YA space, I'm trying to focus more on happier stories because that's selling really well right now. And it's also just what I want to read right now in YA. I feel like YA fantasy, you get a bit repetitive with the types of stories. You have your heroes. It saves the day. I'm not sure I actually list this on my name wish list, but if there is a YA fantasy out there with a gang of people... Similar to The Raven Cycle, I would say, or even Six of Crows, where you have rotating points of view, where it's a gang of friends. I'd like to see more of that, but it never really crosses my inbox. (laughs) So I just kind of cut back on asking for any kind of fantasy. I've been really into mysteries in YA as well. Truly Devious or Inheritance Games, which is kind of like a mystery game type thing. Anything with puzzles or games, that kind of stuff. I like brain teasers a lot. Like I've grown up just like always puzzling out things and puzzles are one of my favorite things. Clue was one of my favorite games growing up as a kid. And so I really enjoy puzzling out a mystery, but only in YA and middle grade. I haven't actually picked up a lot of books in the adult category for mysteries. And I feel like because it caters towards cozy mysteries, or crime mystery, which is not really my thing. If there is a adult mystery that is less about crime and cops and things like that and more about a gang similar to Truly Devious, which is a young adult novel, I would be open to that as well because that's mystery I prefer.
1: <laughs> that's really interesting. So when you think of stories that are gang related, are you thinking multi-POV or are you thinking single protagonist? that also comes with the crew? Or are you thinking a little bit of both? I think a little bit of both.
0: I could see it being from one point of view. I would say that the ones that I mentioned were multi-point of view, Six of Crows and The Raven Cycle. But multi-point of view is really hard to do, so it has to be done really well. But otherwise, a single point of view with somebody with a big gang, which is kind of truly devious. That is from the protagonist's point of view, one protagonist's point of view. But she has this gang of friends who are helping her solve these mysteries. And so it's a little bit more um, about friendship and also her romantic arc. That's what I feel is missing a lot in books these days is not just the romance, but you have your family and your friends. And I really enjoy those other relationship arcs when you can put them in the stories with the romantic arc as well, because I do like romance.
1: Yeah, and that, that's I would love to talk to you about because I did notice, as I mentioned earlier, I think that you do a wonderful job at identifying exactly what you're looking for in a manuscript wishlist. One of the things that's really cool is that on the manuscript wishlist site, you talk about subgenres that you also oh. like. And I haven't seen a lot of literary agents talk about subgenres that they like in addition to content genres, the main genres that you'd be thinking where they go on a bookshelf. And I thought that was really cool because then it was like, wow, you're really going deep into the story. And if you're talking about these ensemble casts, either multi POV or a single POV, but has the gang with them, I'm wondering if the subgenres are going to play a crucial role in what catches your attention and how you think that develops character arc in the story.
0: I don't know how it correlates with the subgenre, but I do think that for a multi-POV and a group, a cast of characters, they definitely each need their own arc. For a character to stand out on the page and to really grab a person, they need their own character arc. And so even if they don't have a POV, you need to make sure that you are creating an arc for the prominent characters in your story. I wouldn't say, you know, the coffee store attendant needs an arc, but maybe you want to create one. (laughs) It's up to you. But That's how a character becomes alive on the page is that they have a backstory and they have faults and then they are growing from those faults. And even if they are just a side character and the protagonist's best friend, they still need to grow with the story and possibly be entwined with the story. In The Raven Cycle, it was more of a speculative contemporary fantasy and they all had their own arcs that were connected in a way due to the magic and not to have spoilers or anything like that. It's a really old series, so if you haven't read it, then you (laughs) need to read it. But it does really well with weaving all those characters together and somehow making them all a part of this fantastic world and this one thing that happened to one boy several years ago. I think that it is important that Characters that are prominent in the story need to connect
1: in a way. I agree. And I love how you're playing out the Raven Cycle as an example. You were talking specifically about YA fantasy and you mentioned some MG for um, graphic novels. When someone is querying you or someone's interested in querying you and they have a middle grade or a YA, how can they be really confident that theirs falls into one of the other categories, versus sometimes people might query out YA, but it's actually working more like a a middle grade novel. That's hard. They would need to, well, do their
0: research and make sure that they read a lot of middle grade or YA if they want to write in those areas sometimes it can be a crossover novel like if you have a 15 year old protagonist people want to throw that in YA just because it's a teen but usually middle graders read up so it might actually be a middle grade novel but it all really depends on the voice and the themes that are happening. Young adult, at least right now in young adult, what people tend to read more of is a little bit more mature romance arcs and not first kiss or anything like that. I mean, you can have first kiss in young adult, but they're usually older teens. And that's kind of the plot of the story is like, oh my gosh, I'm graduating and I've never had my first kiss, but usually holding hands, first kiss, friendship breakups you see in middle grade, although I'd love to see a friendship breakup in YA. And so it really kind of depends on your themes and what the story is about and the voice. Usually middle grade reads younger, obviously, and they focus more on family and it is not as I get focused more on the plot and the adventure, I guess you could say. And then why I think focuses more on your protagonist and the relationships and the characters. And then with adult, it's kind of all over the place. You can have middle grade characters in an adult book like It from Stephen King. (laughs) I think that he had really young characters in his book, right? But that's a core for adults. Like you're not going to give that to a middle
1: grader. I mean, some people might. (laughs) It is not a middle grade book. (laughs) Do you think that that carries over with graphic novels as well? Because you said you specifically want middle grade graphic novels and you're looking for more YA not graphic novels, right? Is that similar or does any of that have a crossover between when you go into a graphic novel versus a novel?
0: The only thing that I would say for graphic novels, you still want the themes to be appropriate for middle grade. You still want the themes to be appropriate for YA, depending on which is which, but also the illustrator style. If you have a younger illustration style, then you should focus on writing middle grade or even picture books, depending on how young it looks. And then if you have a grungier style, it's obviously going to be a little bit older. So it really depends on the look of the illustrations and the panels pages and everything and how it reads but i still think that for themes
1: and what you're writing about in character arc that's going to be the same you have representation of illustrators and you have representation of writers do you ever when it comes to graphic novels do you have someone who does both or do you only have someone who does both or can you represent just the illustrator or just the writer
0: I prefer to represent author author illustrators, Mm -hmm. so they do both mostly because it's what editors also prefer (laughs) for my current clients. Some of them that are authors and just authors want to write graphic novels and that's fine. I'll represent their graphic novels, but I'm not looking for just authors and I'm not looking for just illustrators. At this time, I would rather have them have a project ready to go that we could put out on sub. that way that they are actively getting their name out there and their portfolio out there through their
1: own work and show that they can do it. You mentioned that you just sold one. So what's the title that you just sold with your current client illustrator?
0: The Secret of the Ravens, and it's a little grade Filipino inspired fantasy about a brother and sister who are orphans and homeless and they go into this really rich city and there are these crows that appear with a quest and that you could earn money through these quests and then one of the quests ends up being really dangerous and the sister ends up getting really sick so
1: the brother has to go and figure out how to save her before she dies. Sounds like a great adventure story. I love it. And it comes out in 2023. So everyone yeah. should put that in their notifications. That's coming out in 2023. You also had a client who just had a debut, Summer Sons. I'm curious what means you fall in love with Lee's story when it came into your inbox. What caught your attention right away once you got representation of Lee? How did it go about when you decided how you're going to try to pitch this to editors? Was that difficult? Was it easy? Lee is very
0: talented and When I received their manuscript in my inbox, their comps are what actually caught me. First was Drain Thieves, which is the second novel in The Raven Cycle, which is one of my favorite books, and A Secret History, which is A Dark Academia. And then I was also really eager for a Southern Gothic. So it's also a Southern Gothic. It had all of the ticks that I've been looking for. I love Dark Academia. I love some of their gothic. I love the Raven Cycle. So I had to read it, obviously. And these prose are just like so evocative and they immerse you right into the story. And something on a more personal note is I have lost my brother to suicide several years ago. And the character in the book really encapsulates the emotions and the grief that happens when you somebody I felt that viscerally when I was reading it the emotion was there that needed to be there and it wasn't something that I've seen a lot in fiction where people can actually depict grief the way that I at least felt it which is going to be different for everybody which is something I obviously learned after losing my brother for even me it's personal for them too the dedication is to somebody that they lost and writing the novel was also kind of their way of working through that grief it's really good and it has a lot of emotion attached to it for Lee and then even me because I feel like even though
1: it's their book, it reminds me a lot of my brother and that means a lot to me. Yes, I think that speaks to a main focus of your manuscript list where you talk about how you really enjoy character arcs. Yeah, There's a difference between a character-driven novel and a plot-driven novel. This sounds like the perfect match for you in the sense that lee was being able to not only have a tremendous voice but also it was able to connect you on that emotional level and experiencing grief which is a really difficult topic to do well and this connection piece sounds like the character right away and then throughout the story was able to catch you and stay with you and help you experience some emotions that you were also experiencing in the day-to-day life. I was wondering, could you talk to us about what you're looking for or what you mean when you say you are specifically looking for character-driven stories? What do you think really makes a strong character-driven story?
0: It's obviously the arc that the character goes through. They have a change and it focuses more on their emotions, like their internal emotions, less on the external challenges that they're going through and it Mm -hmm. focuses more on the internal challenges that they are facing and that's what propels the story forward more so than the problems outside of their internal struggle I Mm -hmm. guess the best way that you can describe the difference between a plot-driven arc and a character-driven arc and Somerset's definitely a character-driven arc there is a plot it's very subtle And it does propel the character forward, but mostly the character, Andrew, is trying to figure out what happened to their best friend. He doesn't believe that they committed suicide. And while doing that, he is processing his grief. Mm -hmm. And that's the bigger struggle that he's dealing with and how to deal with that and move on with his life and possibly get in romantically with somebody.
1: Mm-hmm. I personally love emotionally driven stories. I'm right there with you. I'm looking for character first, and plot needs to happen. Right there needs to be external events that challenge this internal arc. But the emotions—that's what really lingers with you and what stays with you uh, on a you know on a page to page basis. And then when you walk away, it usually doesn't have you know packaged in a pretty bow type of ending. Like it's it's something that sits with you and you really. Think about it and carry that with you. And hopefully you can learn from that and help process whatever it was that the characters are processing. Are there other stories out there from your clients or from ones that just have been stories that you've fallen in love with that achieve what you're looking for and what you're hoping to find in your end? I'm going to just go with like TJ Klune's like whole catalog of
0: books. He put out The House of the Cerulean Sea, which hit the bestseller list. So did Under the Whispery Door. TJ has a way of making you laugh and you cry and you go through a slew of different emotions while you're reading his books. That's what I want. I want to feel what the characters feel and he's really good at making you feel what other characters feel. He's really good at those group dynamics that I was talking about, which you don't often get to see a lot of group dynamics in adult. Most of his books are more about the found families and the families that you create, especially as queer characters and people you usually find your family other than your main family and people a lot of his books are like that and focus more on character rather than the plot struggles that they are dealing with and how they are changing with the plot rather than how the plot is changing because of external circumstances
1: yeah my aunt actually gave me the house of the surly Leon sea i i don't know how i hadn't heard of tj clune until She handed me this book, but now I am wrapped up in becoming a huge fan of him (laughs) as well, because how could you not? I think that that idea of the character and pulling in, just like any reader, you want to be emotionally attached probably in those first pages. You've mentioned how you really enjoy stories that make you cry or laugh in the first pages. What do you think separates their stories from stories that don't get you to that emotional release either in laughter or crying. I think it's
0: really just grounding your reader in the story making sure that they are right up front aware of who this character is or what they want and what their goal is. You want to make sure you're grounded in the character and even a little bit of the world too, so you know where your character is coming from. And then... Use that to make a reader laugh or cry or pull at their heartstrings. For example, House in the Cerulean Sea, we'll go with that one. The beginning pages, I believe, start with the main character. He doesn't say he hates his life, but I, I would sitting in a cubicle all day. We can all relate to that. We can't stand it. Where he's from is dreary all the time, which I can relate to. Coming from, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, so making your character is relatable for what, and then he subtly puts this picture of the beach in the cubicle, and you could feel that like that's where he desires to be. That's where he wants to see, but he can't because he's working all the time and that is just like so sad you relate to that you want him to go to the beach so when he finally has this opportunity to get out of his cubicle and go near the beach and then his his story really begins that's where he meets the orphanage of these spectacular kids who i don't want to say monsters but they're different kind of creatures they're not human for the most part And he begins to just change from that experience. And it's a beautiful story. It's those subtle nuances of like a picture on your desk or for Lee's book, which we'll get into later. Just kind of because his first opening, it opens with a text message. And I think that as in a modern day, we could all relate to the fact that if you've ever lost anybody, look at those text messages over and over again. And for Lee, it's come home, I'll be waiting which is sad once you realize what's going on and that he just lost his best friend. Right. And he wasn't there. Like that's, that is just like, as somebody who has lost somebody, you weren't there for that person. And it's heartbreaking. I think it really is those first lines, paragraphs of your manuscript and just grounding in the character and making sure that the
1: reader can see what is going on. You want to show them. You don't want to tell them what's going on. I think that's really interesting because Sometimes writers might feel like the only way to catch an agent's attention in those first chapters is with a big bang. Like it's like the most extreme thing that could happen in those first chapters, which in some cases it probably can. But for these character-driven stories, it's more important, like you said, to establish the relationship, what's going on with them internally, and to have these subtle external factors that are triggering these internal reflections so that you can really ground us into what's going on inside of them, their longings. In general, what right now are some genres or titles that are standing out to you that are either being published or that you recently read that are basically you're you're finishing it and you're thinking, please, 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 I want a story like this. Or what are the stories that you don't see currently represented in the publishing world that you really would like to be the advocate for?
0: any underrepresented person like really we just need more of that and Mm -hmm. we're like getting better but we could do better especially with blockbusters it's still the same stuff that you've seen all the time by find the same type of people so obviously underrepresented voices and obviously anything that is like tj clue where i'm laughing and crying and that would be great i've read Truly deviant sweet recently, anything like that, Bee Schwab is one of my favorite authors. I'm
1: always open to anything that would be compared to B Schwab. So that darker aspect with B Schwab, going back to sounds like voice is really important for you. When it comes to POV choice, do you find that they go hand in hand? The voice and the POV choice. Is there a specific type of POV that you like? Like third person limited, first person, does it not matter as long as we're emotionally grounded?
0: I think it doesn't matter as long as it works for the story. Rarely am I like, this doesn't work. But sometimes there will be a time where I'm like, this would probably work better if third. And I will note that in like my response to the querier. And if they change it, then they can let me know. But I am not a POV snob. I don't nope. find either one. <laughs> Honestly, I like. Both. Personally, I feel like if you're going to do first person, close first person, that, that usually works for more lighter toned books. Third person usually works better for darker toned books, but it's not a strict rule for me.
1: You've emphasized the importance of needing more underrepresented books in the publishing industry. Do you think that it's also important that the writer of the underrepresented books is like their protagonist or is it okay if they're not?
0: It's something that I would prefer, but it's not always the case. And it depends on the subject matter and there's a lot of nuances. And I feel like that's a whole conversation that could go on for hours, really. But I wouldn't say it's a hard no if you're not a part of
1: that community, but it
0: is a preference that you are. I'm not going to police that.
1: Do you think the preference is usually because you're going to know that experience more? Do you think that it's more than that?
0: I think that it is more authentic, especially if you're writing about that community's experience with that, mm-hmm. their struggles with society and everything. But I think also publishing right now is a very sensitive to that as well. In general, even the publishers are going to look for somebody who's writing
1: within their community. Great. We talked about character driven. We've talked about how that's usually your preference. Have you ever been captivated by a plot-driven story that has come across your inbox? No. (laughs) I knew more in middle grade. I would say my middle grade author Colin,
0: whose manuscript that they queried me with, was definitely more plot-driven. But I feel that middle grade is more about the adventure, like I said. It was still emotional though. Like the whole arc was still based on the brother and sister trying to put the moon back in the sky and with the help of from different cultures. And so that was really more plot driven, but it was still had a lot of character growth for the brother and sister throughout the plot. Graphic novels are a little bit harder to get the in-depth internalization because it's not prose. And most of, I feel like your character arc is going to come through the internalization that happens in prose. I would feel that graphic novels are more reliant on the plot instead of that internal struggle. But obviously I'd still like to see character growth.
1: Just to re-emphasize what you talked about earlier, it sounded like if there's multiple POV then character growth within each of those characters. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Great. When a writer gets to a place where, hooray, the agent is offering representation, if that was a writer that you were offering representation to and there were other literary agents offering representation as well, what would be the type of book that you would really fight for And what is probably a way that you would present why you were the best match for them?
0: Well, I mean, if I'm offering representation, then I'm going to really fight for the book because I'm not going to offer representation to somebody that I'm only like, oh, I kind of like this. I have to love a book you go through so many edits, like I'm doing this for free until I sell your book. So there is a lot of work that goes into it and a lot of emotional work too. I'm definitely going to fight for the books that I love. And really, I surprisingly have not come up against somebody offering before me. I'm always the first to offer and I've not lost a client yet to other offers. So (laughs) it's kind of hard for me to even, Build off experience in that aspect, I've been really lucky. I would say that due to how busy I am, if somebody else is already getting an offer and I am not immediately captivated by the book, I will pass. Mm -hmm. Or likely I will pass if you get an offer just because I don't have a lot of time to read that fast Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the moment. I would say theoretically, if somebody did offer before me and I fell in love with the book, I would be honest as much as I can with an author or an illustrator with my editing process and Mm -hmm. what they expect from me. I always, always give out references and let them know they can talk to any of my clients and about working with me and who I am and how I treat them. And so really that's all I can do is gush about their book, tell them about me and let them talk to my clients so they know for sure whether or not I'm a good
1: person. Awesome. All right. So as I just mentioned at the end of each interview, like to have a final three questions to encapsulate all of the big ideas that we've talked about today. It's a lightning round here at okay. the end, <laughs> if you're any part. The first question, is pretty easy to answer this one in one sentence or two sentences. Are you a hands-on or a hands-off type of agent?
0: I'm flexible. So I have clients
1: that want hands-on and that don't. Mm-hmm. When you are helping, so question number two, when you're helping someone go through revisions, because it sounded like there's a lot of rounds with this, when you're helping someone go through revisions, if you're focusing on that character arc and helping them strengthen that, is there any one piece of advice that you think has really helped your clients or is there any piece of advice that you would give them? to help them really develop that character arc?
0: I would say that just to read books that they love and have good character arcs to study that, but mostly just focus on the growth of the character from the beginning to the
1: end and make sure that they have grown. And then hopefully if there are writers out there ready to query you, then they'll get to experience that themselves. I think that's a great answer. The final and third question I'd like to ask you is if you could have represented any book across any age, what would that title have been? And why would you have loved to have represented that one so much? That's so hard. (laughs) I'm sure there's so many, right? But if you could pick one, what's the one that really stands out to you as, oh, I would have loved been the literary agent for that title. Can't
0: I just pick an author?
1: <laughs> yes, yes, you can okay. pick an author.
0: That would an author, it would definitely be TJ Clinton. He started out in a small publisher that kind of screwed him over and is down with Tor. But I love his books. I love everything that I read by him. And he's done fantastic. He has such a loyal fan base, and I think that's important.
1: Is that something that you also support writers with, helping them develop that fan base? A little
0: bit. I will coach them if they need the coaching, but that's up to them Really, (laughs) in a way, like it's something that we talk about, but I feel like that is definitely something that is between publisher and the author and even the agent. Awesome.
1: Well, Tara, thank you so much for being here. I think you've provided such wonderful, specific insight as to what you like to represent. And I'm hoping that the listeners out there are hearing this and are fighting at the bit to get to you. I appreciate your time. And I so look forward to supporting you and all of your writing clients in the future. Thank you, Abby. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation on Match. You can find Tara's manuscript wishlist, where to find her, and the books spotlighted in this episode in the show notes. If you liked listening to my conversation with Tara and would like to hear more episodes with literary agents, please make sure to pass the show on and write a review. This helps me reach more writers who are ready to query agents or who want to learn more about the writing craft. If you have any questions or recommendations for Litmatch, please email me at abigailkperry.com at jima.com, and I'll do my absolute best to answer you. I hope you'll join me next week for more episodes of Lit Match. In the meantime, keep writing. I genuinely can't wait to hear when you sign with the best literary agent and business partner for your writing career and celebrate your book when it comes out.